Barkley on the take. Giving left. Howard on the cutback. Inside to the five. Howard slams into the end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown Bears! Jordan Howard, a nine-yard run. Snap is back. Coming on a blitz. They throw into the end zone. Left corner up in the air. Elson Jeffrey makes the catch. Touchdown! Touchdown Bears! Bears Hour Live with Lauren Cox and the Draft Doc, Philatosha. Hello and welcome to Bears Hour Live. I'm Lauren Cox here with Draft Doctor Philatosian, as always, coming to you live on a Sunday, two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, it's it's the off season. We say every week that you know it's just not a Sunday without Bears football. So we hope that we can sort of be your 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 little taste of Bears football in the off season. As you can tell, I've still got a little bit of a cold, so I'm going to apologize in advance. Hopefully, I can avoid any uh, sniffling or mouth breathing over the mic once again. But I do sound a little bit differently, and I'm sure there'll be more than one mental lapses that Phil is going to have to carry me through. But Phil, how are you doing today? I know we've got a, we've got a special guest on the air we want to get right to, but how's, how's the Sunday treating you? You know, it's a good Sunday, beautiful day. You know, the housing market is going on in the middle of the draft season, so I'm a busy guy selling a house, buying a house. It's been a crazy time at the Atoshan abode, so I'm fired up to have this special guest, Lauren, on the line with us, the czar of the playbook today. Yeah, you know, another guy who's been, I'm sure, crazy busy as we get down to the last, what, four days before the draft starts on Thursday. We have with us Emery Hunt from footballgameplan.com. He's known as the czar of the playbook. Emery, how are you doing today? I know you're a busy guy, but thank you so much for coming on for a little bit today to talk through some NFL draft prospects. I'm doing excellent, guys. I really do appreciate you guys having me on. I always can tell it's draft season when I'm talking with you two guys on the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now for the, for those who don't know, Emery, he does some really fantastic draft work over at Football Game Plan. They do a ton of really cool videos. I know they've gone team by team to go through draft needs and prospects that fit through there. And I know he's put out tons and tons and tons of prospect profiles and scouting reports. I think 532, is that right, Emery, uh, uh, over at uh, Football Game Plan? That'll be right, 532. And we've sprinkled in a little bit more after that. So that's why you've probably seen more of those uh individual prospect videos come out so we just try to add to that number before the draft and we're done we're completely done now so that number probably is at maybe 545 i believe jesus well you, you can check all that out <laughs> at, at www.footballgameplan.com slash fbgp scouting that's got every, everything there i mean it's you can get lost for hours i was just looking at it before the show i mean I, it exceeds to me the likes of the the Matt Millers, the the CBS sports guys. I mean, it's just there's just so much there. So Emery, it's it's really an honor to have you on the air to to be able to dive into some of this knowledge that you've gathered throughout the draft process. No, I appreciate it, guys. Oh, Emery's one of the best guys out there. Just the compassionate soul brings you know his four now. Now he's running probably about a four six forty to the airways in the digital studios, Lauren. So, <laughs> the former La Tech, right? LA Louisiana Tech. Lafayette, man. La Tech. Oh, about my Ryan. bad. How dare you? <laughs> that oh. was Lauren Cox giving me the notes before the oh. show. Oh, no, I'm getting the blame. <laughs> That's not true. I think Louisiana we had that conversation like weeks ago, we Phil. I, I said La Tech. And, and <laughs> <laughs> it's in my head, you know. A former Peanut Tillman played there, huh? 
Absolutely. Louisiana Lafayette, at home of the Raging Cajuns, fellas. Hey, I got to get on top of this. I'm sorry about that. But listen, last this past Thursday, me and Lauren at Bears Hour Live, real quick before we get into all the sleepers and everything, had a mock draft. The Chicago Bears, as you know, are picking number three. Cleveland went first. They picked Watson. Garrett went second. The Bears now are stuck there. What do they do? A Solly Thomas, uh, Trubisky, Mahomes. Are they going to take a safety and hooker corner in Lattimore? I, being the GM, uh, Emery, ended up taking a shot, the home run shot. Swing for the fences. Quarterback trumps all. I took Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to ask you now. In your mind, and I'm free for criticism here, you know, what would you do and what do you think of that pick if Watson was after, off the board? I'm a big Watson believer. Talk about it. I think that's a great pick, quite honestly. And listen, I wouldn't be shocked or upset. I actually would want it to be uh, this way where Watson goes first, maybe Kaiser goes second, and Mahomes goes third. I think those three guys are the premier elite day one starting quarterbacks in this draft class. Those are the guys that are franchise changers. And the Bears, quite honestly, they need one. I know they signed uh, Mike Lennon, Mike. but I know that's probably set up to be a more of a one-year rental. But I think Mahomes would be, be perfect in, in uh, Chicago, whether it's Mahomes, Kaiser, or Watson. I think those three guys should go first, and I'm glad you decided to you know buck the system and buck the narrative and take the best player that can that handles the ball every play, and that's Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback. I think that's an outstanding pick. It's certainly one that it got some negative feedback from Bears fans that, you know, they, they do. They hear all draft season that this quarterback class is terrible and, you know, the likes of Todd McShay saying he'd rather take, was it Davis Webb in the first round versus uh, Deshaun Kaiser in the second? I mean, something like that, and, and it just – you, you kind of you kind of get caught up in that, but when you actually like sit and watch the tape and formulate your own opinion, you know that's that's gonna disagree with with some of the mainstream narrative. When guys, you know, they get caught and they, they get in their circles and they all kind of talk and they say, okay, well, what do we all think essentially? And when one guy says, oh, I, you know, I don't think these quarterbacks are very good, and so oh, I want to sound smart. Oh, yeah, these quarterbacks aren't very good. Let's 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 find all the bad plays, and then they start looking for them and they start trying to find ways in which they can fit that narrative to what they're saying. And that's how you get to this kind of conversation when, realistically, these are some talented quarterbacks in this draft. You know, no one's saying there's the next Andrew Luck just sitting there, you know, that kind of thing. But that doesn't mean you can't find your franchise, even day one starters from this class. So I, I totally agree with that, Emery. It's easy to, to get caught up in the mainstream, the the sort of uh, back-and-forth feedback loop of, of the mainstream draft analysis. So that, that's that's why we have you on. Well, I just hate that people say this. There's no next Andrew Luck, as if quarterback out that draft class didn't go in the third round. So, you know, it's, <laughs> we should be saying there's no next Russell Wilson in this draft class. But that's the thing. There, I think there are starting quarterbacks that can play well and win games in every draft class. This class, to me, has about ten of those guys, and so I, ju- I just find it blasphemous that these guys that are scouts or you know analysts that are, are their sole purpose is to do draft scouting ignore the true depth of talent at the quarterback position there's guys from the major schools Clemson and Notre Dame and Texas Tech two guys that are playing at Temple Old Dominion that are just playing really great play from the quarterback position and last time I checked 
Brian Hoyer's, Hoyer started games. Uh, Matt Barkley started games. You can't tell me that you can't pull a guy that started a lot of games in college that was successful, can't step in and do at least one shade better than Brian Hoyer or Matt Barkley. So people are really nuts when they talk about this draft uh, scouting thing from a, oh, you can't find quarterbacks out there. That's nuts. Yeah, it is nuts, and it bothers me because, you know, the intention, especially of having someone as thorough as yourself on the show, as evidenced by your 532 prospects over at your website, showcases, intention wasn't to talk quarterbacks. But I got to just piggyback off this because you're such a outstanding spokesman for football, number one, at writing a book and talking to coaches on every level of the game, this great game, the greatest game, I believe, on the planet, and the, the passion that you bring. You, know, you look at this quarterback class, and you just look at the quarterback position as a whole, and you look at the Chicago Bears who failed miserably. They've won nine games the past two years. They've never been in the top five of the draft and selected a quarterback since Jim McMahon. I believe the time is now, and when you're up in that area of the draft, Emery, you got to take a shot at greatness, or else you're going to end up missing out on an opportunity to, to utterly change the history and course of your franchise. I totally agree. Think about these two teams, and think about how talented they are on paper, and how talented they've proven themselves to be on the field in some cases. The Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Let's go back to the 2014 draft. They had an opportunity to take the best quarterback in that draft class or one of the best, one of the two, in Derek Carr or Teddy Bridgewater. Houston decided to go defensive end, edge rusher, and Javion Clowney, who it seems like the 2014 draft class is mirroring the 2017 draft class when people are passing on the obvious starters at quarterback for no apparent reason. So in that same draft, Jacksonville went ahead and took Blake Bortles, who shot up the draft boards during the, the bowl season and offseason for a reason. And all of a sudden, he became the clear-cut best quarterback, despite the guy coming from a pro-style system with all that success at a school at Louisville. And for him to go, for a team to have to trade back up into the first round to get him because he was going to fall into the second round. So fast forward now. Over those last three seasons, all Teddy Bridgewater did was lead the Vikings to the playoffs. They should have won that playoff game against Seattle, had the kicker not missed that field goal. And all Jacksonville has done is pick in the top five. And all Houston has done is miss out on Super Bowl opportunities because of the quarterback play. That team is Super Bowl ready, but they can't get past the quarterback play, which is why they haven't gotten to that big game just yet. How many games have Jadavion Clowney actually won for them? That's why you have to take the quarterback if you have the chance. It, it's really an opportunity that the Bears can't pass up this year. And I know everyone here, you know, Phil and I, we we're, we have our fingers crossed for quarterback, even if it's not our number one guy, Deshaun Watson. I, I think both of us would be comfortable with at least three, if not all four of the top guys in this draft at that third overall pick. I mean, realistically, you're guaranteed one of the top three if two quarterbacks go before you. So I, I think we're we're really looking forward to, to, to that. And we're going to be disappointed if it's, a Jamal Adams, a Malik Hooker, a Solomon Thomas, just because you can get those kind of players later in the draft. And I want to use that to transition to later in the draft because we're obviously on page with the quarterbacks at the top, but I want to get your opinion on, you know, day two, day three, 
you know, that's when we start to see a lot more mixed opinions in the, the draft, the draft mainstream, the, the, the hegemony of the, of the prospect rankings really starts to split and you get guys in tra- starting to see a little bit more range in the community, less of that the group think. And so I want to I talk specifically about the secondary because that's where the Bears seem to have the biggest deficiency, especially last year. They've addressed it a little bit in free agency, but pretty much everyone's expecting them to take at least one corner and one safety in this draft. Who, who are some guys that you think haven't really gotten very due diligence in the scouting community in the mainstream that could float up as those potential day two guys in the secondary that you like? There are two guys in particular, and one is an FCS prospect and one is a Division II prospect. Um, I, and I think the Bears are fine at safety. I like, you know, what they have in Amos and Harold Jones, Quartier. I think they can get by with those two guys, but you're right, cornerback is probably more of a, an immediate need. Um, and so two underrated guys. One is Jamal Agnew out of University of San Diego. Not San Diego State, San Diego this guy is a Brent Grimes clone. When you're talking about being able to play off and jump routes, pick off the ball, and then know what to do with it, take it into the house, I think he's outstanding. So I think he can do well in Chicago. I also look at a guy in at Slippery Rock in Titus Howard. He's 6'2", about 180. Um, I was on the broadcast. I did the color for Westchester Slippery Rock, and Howard was all over the field. He was a former Pitt Panther that transferred down to Slippery Rock and led a very good defense, got his hands on, I want to say, eight passes uh, this season. So he's a long corner, can play outside on the boundary, outside on the field side, inside as a slot. Um, so he has really good awareness, good length, good ball skills. Those are two underrated guys. But I just think, like, I, and people have said this, but they still only talk about the same eight players at that position. This is a really deep cornerback class, um, and I think a lot of people are, are – or falling in, in the sense of thinking that you can only go to Ohio State or LSU and pick a corner. But you look at San Diego State's Devontae KZ, tremendous ball skills. And I'm going to gamble on a guy that has the ability to pick off the ball 10 times out of 10. I'm a huge fan of KZ. I think you can't coach the ability to actually take the football away. It's a give God-given trait to be able to instinctively understand. You can study tape. And improve upon it, but when you just got it, you got it. And KZ, in fact, I quoted your website because I thought Teron Davenport really did a great job interviewing that kid down at the Senior Bowl and really getting the best out of that kid and what kind of person he is. And I really love that football player. It's funny because me and Lauren are putting out a, a sleepers on offense and sleepers on defense video, and KZ is one of the guys in there. But let me transition to this because, son, I want to piggyback off what you said. How many times do you see a kid going from like a big time school, whether it be a Florida, Florida State, transferring down to a little school? You saw with uh, Isaiah Crowell ended up going to a little little uh, Alabama State, I believe he came out of, transferring out of his big school. How many of those guys do you see in this draft having an opportunity to really you know, be under the radar for now, but really showcase their talents on the next level. A ton of guys. And the reason why I like people think I I constantly purposely pump up small college guys, which I don't, I just include them in my rank, you know, and here's the under the underlying point of why these guys play so well on the field, because number one, they're going to stay four or five years. They're going to probably have the same coaching staff and position coach four to five years, which is important. 
So they're getting one consistent message. They're getting coached up for four to five years by the same message, by the same guy. So they're a little bit more polished coming out of a lower level as opposed to these guys that are, let's say, quote-unquote better athletes coming from a major program that leave after two years that don't necessarily have the game reps or the technique, but they have the athleticism. And a lot of times people think they can coach up technique. Well, yes, you can. But in the NFL, you just think that uh, every coach knows how to coach technique when the NFL is basically mostly about scheme and less about teaching technique. That's why only a few coaches in the NFL known as position gurus like Rod Marinelli with defensive line or uh, Dick LeBeau with guys in the secondary. So you have to be careful about seeing a guy from a lower level can't compete at the highest level. When those guys come out, they're nine times out of ten more technically sound than those uh, big school components. You know, Emery, we had you on last year after the draft, and a couple of guys that really stood out that you had mentioned were Ben Broniker from Harvard and even Joe Summers from uh, Wisconsin. Uh, one of the one of the small Wisconsin. I should know this. I live in Wisconsin. It was Oshkosh. Oshkosh. And it seems like the Bears like to look around for these sort of smaller school guys at the skill positions on offense, especially wide receiver and tight end, where it just kind of happens that they continue to have needs at both of those positions. Although tight end can be a little bit a little bit of an argument with the addition to Deion Sims and Zach Miller coming back from injury. But are there any are there any receivers on the outside or or at tight end that kind of stand out to you as guys that the Bears could identify because they they seem to like going the, the smaller school route. Well, I give you two guys. Uh one for both for positions. Uh, Kyro Hamilton out of Samford tore Mississippi State. And he was, in my opinion, the best receiver at the East-West Shrine game. He, he He's an ex-receiver. He has the explosiveness. He has the hands. He has route running. He has a savvy of a 10-year vet. He's a tremendous wide receiver. My college coach, former college coach, he coached this past season at Chattanooga. Um, and so he was able to coach uh, this guy, a coach against this guy, he was like, so I told him, I was like, hey, so-and-so from Sanford stood out today at practice and been saying all week. He's like, who, number three? He's a he's a dog. And I was like, exactly. He was like, man, we, you know, he was one of the guys that was giving us problems. And they had one of the top defenses in the FCS. So Cabrera Hamilton at receivers, awesome. At tight end, same same all-star game. Uh, I like Billy Brown. He he has the game, and I, and, I, and I like the comp that our draft analyst, Chris James, threw out there. And it made sense once you saw him work out at practice and, and go through the practice and also when you went back and watched him on film, he plays a lot like Jordan Reed. And Billy Brown is a big physical guy that you, you could line up outside. He played wide receiver at Shepard, but he's ideally going to be an H-back. And he's a matchup nightmare. All week long at the East-West Shrine game, cornerbacks were complaining and almost hating in the, in the sense saying like, oh, he's only being able to catch these passes because he's using his body. Well, duh, if you're 6'4", 245, you want to use that big body and shield those guys away. So those are two underrated guys that I could see the Bears reaching down to, grabbing out, and those guys can have immediate impacts. You know, you look at this football team, offensive tackle continues to be a problem area. Uh, the Bears historically continue to sign free agents, draft late-round projects, kind of fill in the blanks there at that position. You look at this draft, it's being criticized by the narrative, by the big draft media, saying this is the worst offensive line group they've ever seen. When you look in the uh, the small school prospects out there, are there any in the offensive tackle area where the Bears have a need? I, I would say Julian Davenport of Bucknell. I was, I, again, I did the broadcast uh, against Georgetown, and Bucknell lived up to, 
top billing. Now, I, I'd spoken with him at Patriot League Media Day. I, I actually did an interview with his head coach over the summer. We did, you know, one of those football game playing university segments that we do. And he mentioned keep an eye on Julian Davenport this season. The scouts have been constantly rolling through uh, the campus, and he's going to be a senior bowl guy. And lo and behold, he was a senior bowl guy. But when I saw him in that game against Georgetown, who has a one of the strongest defensive front sevens in the Patriot League, you saw a lot of athleticism from Davenport. He dominated up front. He's a guy that that's, that can step in, I believe, and start day one on the left side uh, for Chicago and, and move Charles Leno to more of a swing tackle type position. And so that's a small school guy. that, And people will say he didn't do well at the Senior Bowl. I beg to differ, considering that he stepped up in competition and in one-on-one drills, there was no getting by what he was able to do. So, And, not, and also, when they worked on a half line, they moved Deion Dawkins from Temple, who played left tackle in college. They put him at left guard and had Davenport at left tackle. So that spoke, that spoke volumes of what he brought to the table that week and earned that starting spot. Yeah, Davenport's a guy, you know, the Bears got at least a, a closer look at when they were coaching the staff down there. But, you know, Emory, I know I know you're crazy busy, so I want to let you go here. But if, if there's one quarterback, we, we talked about in the beginning, if there's one late-round quarterback that – you know, a lot of us, if the Bears take a position not quarterback in the third overall pick, we're going to be pretty disappointed. But is there one quarterback that's not a first-round guy to you that you feel like we could at least get excited about if the Bears waited to take a quarterback and, and maybe we could pin some hope on this guy down the line? Absolutely. Philip Walker out of Temple. He's 5'11", 214. And here's the thing. He left Temple. And you know how you guys know how irrelevant Temple football program is, right? in this grand scheme of college football. This guy mm-hmm. led Temple to three bowl games, won an AAC championship, led them to a bowl victory. They hadn't won a conference championship since 1937. And this is a guy that leaves Temple as their all-time leading passer in yards, touchdown completions, and he broke all of Henry Burris, a former Chicago Bear. He broke all of his collegiate records, shattered them, matter of fact, and had Temple, if it wasn't for four drop touchdown passes, <laughs> on Halloween night in 2015, they knock off Notre Dame in Philadelphia. So he has the, the mental capacity to, to withstand a pressure situation. He was the only one that was calm. It, you know how Deshaun Watson plays in, the, in mm-hmm. those Alabama games where it seemed like he was the only one that wasn't afraid, and then everybody else started to believe in themselves, even though Watson was the same way throughout the course of the game? Walker was at Temple. It took... Two or, two or three quarters for the guys to believe, like, hey, we could win this game. But the quarterback who handles the ball every play was already there. And he has the, the skills. His intermediate passing game is excellent. He he reminds me of a, a cross between Tyrod Taylor and Russell Wilson. He has that calmness about his game. He's never under pressure. He's never rattled. He's never rushed. He has a chance to be special if given the opportunity. Big arm from Phillip, too. I, I, I really love that football player, and it's great that you brought him up because he kind of isn't even talked about, really isn't even talked about in this draft class, Lauren. Yeah, and every, I, I don't want to keep you on any longer. We, we appreciate every minute that we've gotten from you. I, I've, been, I've been literally taking notes as, as you speak about these guys. Right now the names, the schools, the little things that you say about it because a lot of these guys I haven't you know watched a second of tape of Samford or Shepard, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what these guys can do and seeing where they go on day three of the draft. But 
I know you have to get going here, so Emery, I want to thank you again for coming on. For those who don't know, Emery's stuff can be found at footballgameplan.com. Like we've been talking about, they have 532 scouting reports up and, and different prospect profiles over at footballgameplan.com slash scouting. And Emery, I mean, it's just a, a treasure trove of knowledge you give us every year, and it's it's really a pleasure. Guys, I really appreciate that, man. I wish you the best of luck, and looking forward to talking with you guys after the draft. Yeah, that's going to be set up just for our listeners who are checking in and really wanting to hear what Emery had, has to bring to the table. Emery, unfortunately, as, is at an event. The virtual studio travels. He's outside a restaurant broadcasting with us here. That's the kind of dedication and persona this guy brings. But we're going to have you on after the draft. Let's go over all the Bears picks and the undrafted guys especially with someone as thorough as yourself. Well, I appreciate it, guys. You guys have a great Sunday and enjoy the rest of the week. You too, Emery. <laughs> All right, Emery. Lauren, the guy is the wizard. I know he calls himself the czar of the playbook, the stuff that they bring, and just the person that he is. You know, I'm a fan, as you could tell. There's <laughs> certain guys, there's certain people I speak for, you know, and I go out of my way, including you. You know, not to make you blush, but too late. <laughs> I, I find I find a level of talent in people who are truth people, guys that speak the truth, stand up for it. Especially in this time, it's not regurgitated bullshit. Everybody's t- talking the same thing. It's easy for you to come out and, and be with the group. It's hard to have people like Emery, myself, you. Uh, Guys at the bar room, Shane Marsaw, I, I, I could think of a bunch of other people, but really ultimately the point is stand up for what you believe in. You watch the tape. You know they do the work. This isn't uh, I'm looking online at Matt Miller's rankings. I'm actually critical of them and McShay and, and all of the people. And the critical thinkers kind of get hammered because it's not what you want to hear, and that's unfortunate. You should listen to the people that are actually bringing what you might not want to hear to the table because that, like Greg Gabriel said, is what makes the difference in a draft war room. Yeah, absolutely. I think if if everyone's saying the same thing, that's usually a problem. I mean, it's one thing when it's when it's Miles Garrett and you know the best player in the draft. Okay, it's 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 fine if if everyone wants to agree there, but when you get a bunch of people all saying the same thing about prospects that are very clearly not cut and dry. When everyone says, you know, Deshaun Watson is inaccurate. When everyone says Deshaun Watson throws too many exceptions. When somebody, when everyone says, oh, you know, Patrick Mahomes is too erratic. Or when everyone says, you know, Mitch Trubisky hasn't had enough experience. You know, every little thing. When when you're hearing too many voices say the same thing, there, there's some under there's some underlying bias that maybe people don't realize, but. When you hear, you know, people, you know, if you're in the draft community, you see people that you respect have an opinion. When you start watching on tape, you're looking for that opinion, and that's what you have to watch out for. You have to watch out for the, the idea that you're that you, even if you don't realize it, you're you're looking to have the tape tell you what you want to hear instead of listening and, and seeing what it's actually telling you. And sometimes you, you do have to push back. And I even find myself doing that with you. Sometimes you'll tell me, "Oh man, check out this prospect," and you know he's he's a great edge rusher, or whatever. And, and I'll start watching him and I'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, this, he, he feels right. I see, I see this and this. And I have to like – sometimes I'll catch myself and I'll say, okay, but let's actually watch this guy and see what I actually – you know, let's, let's make sure that I'm not just 
you know, I'm not just agreeing with you because it's it's been put in my head. I have to go, okay, is he actually a good pass rusher? You know, am I just getting caught up in the in the flashy plays? And you got to go back and you have to be careful. And I think that's what I like so much about Emery and some of these other guys you talk about is that they recognize that they don't have these allegiances per se, and they don't have the you know. Well, I saw Matt Miller say this, and I'm I'm just looking to confirm that on tape. It's very much. I'm going to forge my own opinion, and I don't really care if you disagree with me because I'm going to be confident in it and let let the let let the draft and let the league play out and show me what these players do at the next level and see where I stack up because I I'm confident in my scouting evaluation. But enough on the enough on the the philosophy of the draft and and scouting. I want to get back into the sleepers a little bit here because we got we got Emory's guys, but it's it's time to get our guys now, Phil. And I want to I want to start with you. We didn't really touch mm-hmm. much on the pass rushers, and, and so I want to go there because I think we're all we're both in agreement that pass rusher is kind of a, a sneaky need on this team, and that you know you don't know what percentage of Pernell McPhee you're going to get ever again. You don't know how healthy he's going to be, how many games you're going to get, how what percent of of his 100 percent you're going to get. So you know, uh, pair that with Lamar Houston coming off another ACL tear and Willie Young being on the wrong side of 30 and really banged up last year, even though he played at a very high level. You never know how many more years of, of high-level Willie Young play you're going to get. So that kind of leaves you with Leonard Floyd and some old guys and some old injured guys. So that, that's that's a need that's not really getting talked about a lot. But it's not necessarily a position the Bears may upgrade, especially if they take a quarterback in the first round. That's something they might have to wait to get in the pass rusher. So who are some pass rushers day three in this draft that really stand out to you? Well, day three, you know, we're coming out with that video. I kind of teased it. And you look at this draft, and someone that stands out to me is this kid from Eastern Washington, Ekubom. You know, Lauren was kind of the first guy to bring him to my attention. Check over the the tape. Watch the tape. See what this guy brings to the table. And when it's consistently happening in a powerful manner where he's just dominant, and he's consistently getting pressure after the quarterback, then it becomes a priority to recognize, okay, what is it manifested from? Is it the talent that he's playing against? I played at Hofstra University, played with Wayne Krabat, Dave Fiore, Lance Schulters, all three went on to the NFL. And you have to be able to transcend competition by recognized dominance. And when I say that, if it's continually happening, it's going to happen on another level, too, because it's technique, it's will, it's power. And when this kid, you pop the tape on him, Lauren, he can drop into coverage. He can do the things that you are looking to do in a 3-4 base scheme, Akubon can. And he really gets after it. He could finish, bend and dip, shows that kind of awareness with the passer, where the pocket or the launch point is on a three and a five-step drop. Dipping and getting after that quarterback. Now, is he going to be a day one polished star? No, I'm trying to catch lightning in a bottle with this kind of pass rusher. That guy really, really, really stands out to me, Lauren, in the later rounds of the draft. Somebody from a small school that can get after it. I know Basham is my other sleeper at the position. Uh, Basham from Ohio. I just really believe this guy could go as high as the second round because I believe he gets it. Another football player that stack shed, get to the point of attack, and both these players have a motor that just never stops. I mean, talk about, there's a 
was one play on tape. I don't believe I put it in my cutoffs, Lauren, where Basham, there's a screen ball, and he's on the opposite side of the field. They throw it back across to the other field, so it's a double pass. And he's running from the left side, comes all the way back to the right side. Then they, the guy's running around, and he's chasing him down. Just nonstop motor. I know that's one play, but that's just the indicative of what you continually see on tape with this football player. Uh, Terrell Basham, he will be in the, in the film overview and what we're looking at in sleepers as an edge rusher. I could see the, the Bears taking him in the second round. I'd be okay with it. That's how high I feel on that football player. I think he's going to be a third-round guy. Maybe he goes in the second, but I know he's not a late pick, but he's a lower known guy he ended up uh, did he get to the senior bowl i believe he was at the senior bowl so yeah i saw him down there so you see the kind of innate ability to rush the passer bears have a big need for that despite the narrative in chicago i believe you're 100 percent right um opposite of floyd you have older talent. i think lamar houston's rumored to be cut or waived soon so that's going to be one less notch in the proverbial roster. So getting a pass rusher and a quarterback out of this draft, you know, you can't go wrong with a kid like Basham. Yeah, Basham was a guy, too, at the Super Bowl. I remember him being a little bit more adept than I expected in coverage. Not that he's able to, you know, stay one-on-one with the Rob Gronkowskis of the world, but I remember him not looking as uncomfortable as some of the other edge rushers down there. Uh, A couple of guys in this draft in the similar range for me, at the outside linebacker position that I'd, that I'd like in Chicago. One, both of these guys have a similar theme to them that they kind of get overshadowed by the draft prospect that their teammates with that has kind of taken over their, their draft stock. One is Vince Beagle from Wisconsin. He's a guy that mm-hmm. probably ends up going in the third round, but he could be in round two. Uh, like Basham, I think he's, with these pass rushers, there's sort of a, another pick-your-flavor kind of thing with, with some different skill sets at the position. Beagle's a guy that's not... You know, he's not the most athletic, he's not the biggest, he's not the strongest, he's not the fastest, but I really just, it's hard to watch his tape and be disappointed on any snap. He just understands very firmly what he needs to do and what his assignment is. He gets really great leverage when he sets the edge, even when he's going against bigger, stronger right tackles. He just gets lower and gets under their pads and holds them up and, and holds on the edge. He's got good pass rush moves and he can do a little bit of everything I know. Uh, like his sophomore and, and junior year, they moved him around a lot. They lined him up on the defensive line, even as as far inside as the four I in the in the in the nickel scheme. And they, they they like to move him around. He can rush from the inside, rush from the outside. He can just do a little bit of everything. And he's he's going to be a solid special teamer no matter what. And I know he's going to be an effective edge rusher, even if he's not the biggest or the strongest. And then the other guy is a guy that really doesn't get a lot of talk. His name's Avery Moss from Youngstown State. Everyone knows where most people know Derek Rivers, the the, the other Youngstown State end who mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of, and he can be in. And Derek Rivers can be one of those fringe first, second round guys, but Moss is a guy that's going to go on day three. He's a former Nebraska player. I mean, he was on Nebraska and he got kicked off. He got in some trouble. I think it was public indecency or public. Uh, I think he like exposed himself to somebody like another a student, like a I don't know some some bad off the field stuff, and he got banned from Nebraska. Went to Youngstown State and really played well. And like we were talking with Emery, these guys that you know that went from from those big time schools to the smaller programs, they're, 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 they get slept on in these drafts. Even though they're they're talented enough to be Division One players that could have potentially gone earlier had they been able to stay at their school. And obviously the off the field stuff is going to affect his draft stock too. But he's an effective pass rusher for me. He can do a lot of things. He's a little bit out of control at times. I mean he's a day three prospect for a reason. But I think 
he's got the tools and the, and the baseline skills that if you can get him with a good outside linebackers coach and kind of you know settle him down a little bit make him you know understand a little bit more of his responsibility and okay just do this and make sure you you just do this I think he can really develop down the line into being a great situational pass rusher and that that's pretty valuable to me you know in the fifth or sixth round of the draft I'll absolutely take that on an edge rusher to be able to develop mm-hmm. into something greater yeah you also gotta talk about one other guy Trey Hendrickson kind of skyrocketed up the draft community's boards, uh, I see he's kind of like a seesaw. Some people love him. Some people hate him because he, he tested really well. He showed really well on the All-Star games. Uh, Hendrickson's from Florida Atlantic, kind of plays with his hair on fire. Same kind of role that you're talking about, Lauren. Those kind of smaller school players that kind of get overlooked but are on the fringe or the cusp of what it is you're looking for, especially when you're 65% of the time in nickel for the Chicago Bears. And base 3-4 scheme, you saw the way they use Willie Young. You know, Some people at Bear Report didn't think that he was even going to be able to make a roster spot based on the transition it was going to be asked to take. But clearly, the football player can adapt, the scheme can adapt, the coaches can adapt. If you're able to get to the passer, that's why it's always important to recognize talent first, scheme second. Coaches should identify talent that are going to be able to win one-on-one matchups and get home to the quarterback. So this kid Hendrickson can do that. I believe he's somebody to keep an eye on in this draft. Someone's going to get a good football player there. And One other guy I want to talk about from a big school, Lauren, I feel as though he's not tested well. He's not uh, He's not going to kill you in the Olympics or the underwear game. But he is, when on the football field, an absolute force. And we see the fit in the 3-4 scheme. He reminds me, and I call him very similar to Pernell McPhee, and that's Anderson at Alabama. I just think he's not talked about a lot. We talked about him earlier in the offseason on our shows, Lauren. I just want to re reiterate this point about this football player because you're going to talk about Timmy Williams. You're going to talk about obviously Allen and and that whole defense maybe comes away in the top two rounds with maybe eight players taken. I just think when you look at Anderson's game, he's able to get after the quarterback plays with a physical dominance to him. And he's just an, a guy that understands the game of football. So he can be in a scheme and play sound, disciplined football at a young age. I don't think you can go wrong with a guy that plays with a chip on his shoulder, is physical, tackler, and finisher, and understands the football game. He's somebody I really believe highly in and would love to have him on the Chicago Bears. Yeah, it's certainly easy to get excited about the depth of this edge rusher, this edge rusher group. I mean, that and corner, to me, there's just a, a really great opportunity to, to maybe get a guy that would be a, a second, third round talent in a previous draft down in the fourth, fifth, even sixth round of this group just because there's only so many teams that need these positions and only so many teams that are going to draft these positions. And when you've got 20 to 25 really talented players that could all go <clears throat> in the top, you know, one, or all feel like they could be top 100 players, I mean, somebody's going to drop it as teams have to take other positions. They just can't take corners and, and edge rushers when they are when they when they feel they're loaded at that position and I think in this draft you're going to be able to get one of those guys on day three that could be the surprise fifth round 
Ryan Pace draft picks that the Adrian Amos that starts as a rookie, the, jo- the Jordan Howard that should have made the Pro Bowl as a rookie, or did he? Yeah, he did as an alternate. I mean, those are those are the two positions where you can find those kind of guys late in the draft if you're a, a Ryan Pace type general manager. But obviously, that's a that's a luxury that you can't necessarily count on. But I think that's that, is that sort of the philosophy for you, Phil, with these with these day three picks? You kind of just have to swing for the fences rather than take a guy that. You know, like you could take a guy that you know is going to be a solid backup, but are are you much more of a high ceiling, low floor kind of guy for day three, or would you, or do you think there's some positions that it's worth taking a guy that might be more refined but doesn't have that high of a ceiling on that third day? I think it's a a give and take there. I think the former Chicago Bear philosophy was to look at guys and see, you know, a kind of high ceiling kind of effect as you're talking. I think when Brian Pace came in here, he talked a lot about finding football players and having that be an importance to it. When you look at Daniel Braverman in the seventh round, I felt like he was backing up his word because you know how I feel about Daniel Braverman when it comes to the craft of running routes. I don't think there is a better example of that than him. And I believe we will see that eventually in Chicago. I'm, I'm more than confident in that. So when you look at Ryan Pace, especially this year, year three, you know, three years, I don't care what Adam Johns is talking about, but the Sun Times about who's on the hot seat. I don't believe Ryan Pace is, but I definitely would be concerned with my franchise, not only sitting in section 250, but sitting anywhere in the country or the world that listen in at Bears Hour Live. And, and love the Bears, you know, I would be concerned if Coach John Fox has gotten a free pass coming into this football season. Then I believe you have issues because I think they hold back the general manager from and the franchise from winning. But getting to the point of this, I know I'm going roundabout, but I think it's important to address the importance of sealing picks with an established winning tradition tend to be there and football picks when you're trying to build a winning tradition. So the value then becomes in the scouts. And if you listen too much to your coaches and not enough to the people that are out there scouting, then you get yourself in trouble. If you listen too much to the scouts and not enough to the coach, then you get yourself in trouble. So it's important to have a great, uh, relationship and balance there. And I think that we are going to have to see what that is right now. But for me personally, I believe football player first. That's why I feel so highly on Anderson. Then, you know, guys that jump out of the the swimming pool and all that crap, they don't do it for me. Th- that's a check in the box. Is this, Does this player have heart? Does he love the game of football? Greg Gabriel talked about getting fooled by Mike Haynes and Penn State, uh, the whole university keeping it from him. He didn't love the game of football. Give me guys that love the game of football with great coaching, and you're going to see winning. That's why it's so important that Brian Pace hits at the quarterback position, whether it be Mike Glennon or whether it be a rookie, he's going to have to hit there, and ultimately it's going to have an effect all the way down through this whole franchise because of it. But for me, 
philosophically, I'm looking later round at guys like a Desmond King, who I know loves the game of football and plays with his heart on his sleeve. Those kind of football players get overlooked a lot of the times for a, a guy that's running a great 40. And, and I know you in our mock draft took T's Tabor. Here's another kid that plays the game and loves the game. He might not run the best 40, but when you pop in the tape, tell me what's not to like about that football player. The same thing could be said with Desmond King, Lawrence. So I'm sticking with the philosophy of finding guys that are great football players on Sundays. Well, you mentioned Daniel Braverman as one of those guys who just is a good football player, even if he's not the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, or the the most explosive. And, and, you know, the Bears, they still need some more wide receivers. And I know Emery mentioned one from uh, Samford, uh, Carell Hamilton, but who are a couple guys later in this draft that you feel like kind of fit that mold of football players that might fit what the Bears need at wide receiver? Oh, you look at it, I mean, you brought up a great football player. I think you should take a little time out to get some some credit, some kudos here in Galladay. You know, after watching his tape, is that how we pronounce it, Lauren? Galladay? Galladay? I believe Galladay. So Galladay of Northern Illinois. Here's a football player, I believe, and watching his tape is explosive. He's 6'4", 213 pounds, runs about a 4'4", 4'5", but... He really showcases an ability to be a game changer. I, I think uh, he's inconsistent, but he's when he's what he's consistently doing is making the big play. So if you're looking at that kind of football player, I believe that he could bring something to the table. Obviously, you, my number one receiver in the draft is somebody that's not even talked about. I believe PFF has him as their tenth or twelfth ranked receiver that's Chris Godwin who I believe is an expert high jump big play player and and when you look at this Chicago Bears team Lauren you know they're missing what Alshon Jeffrey a guy that's going to be a go up and catch it guy you know you have Cam Meredith but I believe when I watch the tape of Chris Godwin he's a football player that could be had in the second round put him the first round of the Chiefs in our mock, but I believe a narrative speaks. I believe GMs are afraid to draft their board and affected by the criticism of the country or the football world. So you got to have, you know, brass balls to be the guy to be able to make these choices. So I look at Galladay, I look at Godwin, obviously Ryan Switzer, I believe is a great phenom in the slot position and could play outside just understands the leverage issue when it comes to the art form of route running. He gets open, catches everything that comes his way. It could be a dynamic slot force in the slot for the Chicago Bears. That's a guy that's going to get open. If you pair him with a Daniel Braverman and you give these two the opportunity to work those middles, you know, they sign Wheaton. That guy's just a nine-route runner. He's not a polished run route guy he's a nine post deep out yeah and there's a need for that but when you're ultimately looking at getting open getting receivers open and moving the change which ultimately is the point and the purpose of what you're setting up in chicago these are the type of football players that i think really ultimately 
get it done. And one last guy that I absolutely love and feel like he's being overlooked, put him in the Bears Hour Live sleepers, not to ruin the whole, to spoil it, but is a kid, Westerkamp, at, out of Nebraska. You know, his 2015 tape, obviously he was injured. He's coming back. Um, I just think the world of this football player, talk about Brian Switzer, you talk about Westerkamp too. The ability to understand leverage and what that is, folks, is when you're running a route inside in the slot and you have a safety or a linebacker inside or outside of you and it's man or you understand where they are in their zone drop and a linebacker is dropping to the zone and you have an understanding of your leverage to the con- the conceptual route that you're assigned to run, then you know that you need to get to that point at the timing of the route. So if it's a five-step drop, you need to get to where you're supposed to be. And and when you look at Westerkamp's game, and if you haven't, you will see it this week coming out, you will see a guy that understands leverage and gets open using his leverage and his quickness. Because both Switzer and Westerkamp bring a level of quickness to the football team that you really, really want to see from your slot receivers or wide receivers in above itself, Lauren. Well, and one guy who, who really does understand leverage is our is our last, our next caller on the show today. We are joined <laughs> by well, let's just let's just have you introduce yourself, caller. Uh, what's your name and where you're calling from? <laughs> I'm actually look. Is this the Puerto Rican Uber number? <laughs> you guys help me with that. <laughs> What's up, guys? There he is. What's no, up? I heard you guys talking about wide receivers. I had to had to call in and throw out some uh, love for my boy Malachi Dupree from LSU. Just a guy that uh, I think gets overlooked a little bit because of the quarterback situation down there in LSU and. He's a boy that I'd like to see uh, end up in Chicago. He's a one of those guys that's uh, he's a lanky guy, maybe a little bit thin, but love to see him end up in Chicago and maybe uh, grow into his role a little bit better as the Bears, as a Bears wide receiver guy that can get downfield. He's not going to bring a whole bunch after the catch, but uh, you know he's got some decent hands and decent tools to work with. Not sure how you guys feel about him. Do you like him better than love- uh, Traven Durrell? What's that? Do you like him better than Traven Durrell, his, his fellow wide receiver? Yeah, I, I, I really do, Lauren. I just, I don't know, just something about the kid. And you, well, I mean, you know as well as anybody it is. It's just hard to determine what these LSU guys are going to bring, you know, at the NFL level. Because, I mean, if you've ever watched an LSU game, it's pretty evident. They don't uh, have any good quarterback play. But, the, no, I do. I just watch the kid and... I hate to throw the phrase out there. The more and more I watch the kid, the more and more I like him. But that's the way that I, that's really the only way that I can put it. The more I do watch the kid, the more I think he's got, got what it takes to, uh, you know, learn at the next level and, and actually make, you know, carve out a pretty decent role as a, as a later round guy. And I, I do, I think he's going to get overlooked on draft day. Well, you make a great point in him because the point really is on this football player is, the lack of support from the quarterback position, something we understand in Chicago very well. So when you look at Dupree, I mean, he's a big football player at 6'2", 200, excuse me, 190, maybe 194 pounds. 
But he's explosive. He's a long strider. I totally see what you're talking in him, Shane. I, I believe he's somebody that's going to yeah. be overlooked, but put in the right system and, and especially the fit that we need. A bigger receiver, long strider, get down the field, take the top off. He's he's somebody I'd definitely be interested in with the Bears. Yeah, and he's going he's gonna to get those jump ball situations that we saw. I don't even want to name the guy. Yeah, I think he ended up going to Philadelphia this year, whatever that guy's name was. But um, Aslan Jeffries. Gonna, yeah, something like that, whatever his name was. But uh, no, he's gonna he's gonna put you in a position when you know we draft our quarterback here in four or five more days in the first round. Sorry, everybody, it's happening. <laughs> if they go a little bit. They go a little bit high. He's gonna give you that bigger catch radius. He does have smaller hands, but he's got the long arms, and that's you know we all know. Uh, not every throw is going to be perfect. You can see it with a guy like Deshaun Watson right in the national championship game. Uh, you well, know, and <laughs> Mike Williams goes up top to to bring down that ball. But uh... <laughs> well, Shane, yeah, you know, I was gonna I was gonna joke about oh, well, when when was the last time a, an LSU wide receiver was was a great draft pick? And obviously joking because of Odell Beckham Jr., who was the first name that came to my mind. But then. Before I did, I looked up. Yeah. I was just looking up the uh, LSU wide receivers in recent drafts, and like, holy yeah. crap! Pick after pick after pick yeah. has just been nailed. I mean, Odell right. Beckham Jr., you look at Jarvis guy, Landry. Jarvis Landry's uh, a perfect, perfect. That was guy my boy, Shane. Yeah, he was a. I believe he was a four-seven guy at the combine, and that's why that's why he ended up falling. And it's you know, it just goes to show you these numbers. Phil Phil hit it out of the park when he brought up Ryan Anderson. That was the other guy that I wrote down that I was going to call in about. I don't care about the, the, the testing numbers with a guy like that. He's just Ryan Anderson is a football player, and you know he's going to end mm-hmm. up in New England, and he's going to be uh, an excellent player for, for the next you know five, six years until they have to pay him, and then they're going to trade him for a second-round draft pick. That's just the way that it's going to go. Exactly. And, uh, and, then, and then they pay yep. – how much do they pay the safety, McCourty? How much do they pay yeah. the kid that left – uh, that went to Cleveland in a trade. How much did Cleveland pay? They yeah, the talent because they recognize football players, and and that's really ultimately the philosophy. You you boys are breaking up a little bit here uh, from, Shane. Your, from your connection, but uh, I think can you guys hear me now? Phil. Yeah, well, I was saying, can you hear me now? Yeah. All right, Sprint sucks, so I guess that's <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> no, no, um, I'm looking at. The Chicago Bears, and you really have to talk about this football team. Five days from the draft, Shane, you're putting your your money down on the quarterback position. I'm sitting here nervous, Shane, because I'm wondering, you know, is this the defining moment of Ryan Pace and this whole administration? Because we've talked about it numerous times. If they pass and miss especially being this high, and I know this is a big if because we don't know, but if 1-2 go quarterback, are you willing to bank on taking a quarterback at three like Emery Hunt and myself believe? Well, if 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 Garrett falls to you at three, you're going to just – I mean, you're going to take the phone calls. This is, this is what I'm thinking. You're going to take the phone calls, but I think it's going to take a very strong offer – for you to not take Garrett. I think you're going to have to, I mean, you're going to be looking at a team like you'd hope maybe Tennessee would offer five and 18 to come up and secure a guy like Garrett to go there. 
But, uh, you know, you got to look at it another way too, Phil. It's not always just about the trading down or trading out. If you can get potentially the best player in the draft and you still have that high second-round pick, even if you have to mortgage something in the future, there's nothing saying that you couldn't trade back up into the into the teens with 36 and a pick next year, you know, to get you in position to get that quarterback. And if you can come away, if you could come away with, uh, you know, Miles Garrett and a, and a Deshaun Kaiser or a Patrick Mahomes or even a Trubisky at that point, I think that's a win-win for the Chicago Bears because, yes, we do need the quarterback, and that's really what I think all of us here talking right now want to see at three if they do sit there and not move down, but I would, I, I, I don't think I could pass Miles Garrett at three just for a, you know, move down for a second round draft pick. If you can get the best player in the draft at number three, yes, there's, I, you hear people coming up, you know, putting more and more warts on this kid, but you're going to see more and more warts come up the closer we get to the draft. You know, they kind of tear these guys down to, to build them back up. And then they all, you know, actually fall back into place uh, when, you know, it's time to write the name back down on the card, but it would take a very attractive offer for me to move off of Miles Garrett. Like I said, I'd need multiple ones, and I'd probably need something, something you know, next year added to that because you can always trade back up if somebody stops dropping, you know, starts to drop, and hopefully get your quarterback there. Well, and I hate to cut this uh, this con- this conversation short because I feel like we could do a whole another hour just on the possibilities of Miles Garrett at three, but we are getting down to our final couple minutes here, and I want to talk about our plans for draft weekend. So, Shane, I'm going to let you go here, and we'll wrap up the show, but thanks so much for calling in. Yep, talk to you later, boys. We'll see you in a, see you in a few nights. We're going to get this thing figured out finally. It's finally going to come to fruition. Thanks, Shane. Always yep, a pleasure, later, bro. Yep, bye. So, so what we're planning for the draft is we are going to go live Thursday, ten minutes after the Bears make their pick. So what we're going to the Bears are going to be on the clock. They'll make their pick. You know, whatever broadcast you're watching, ESPN, NFL Network, they'll talk about it. They'll they'll give their analysis. Ten minutes after that pick is official, we will go live. I don't know if we'll go a whole hour. We'll see how it goes as far as how much we want to talk about the pick. And you know that same thing goes if they trade down from three. It'll still be ten minutes after they make their selection, so it's not ten minutes after the third pick. You know, we'll tweet out a uh, an official starting time, but we hope that you'll join us then because we'll have some live instant reaction to that pick. I know Phil and I are every year on the draft we get pretty passionate one way or another about the about the pick, and I'm sure <laughs> we're going to capture some some pretty great live radio. And then on day two of the draft, Friday night, we're going to go live after both picks in the second and third round again. Five or ten minutes after, we'll tweet out a time. We'll let you know for sure on Thursday. Probably closer to five minutes after just because there's less time in between picks. And sometimes as they get down in the draft, they don't even talk very much about the Bears picks if they're coming back from commercial or whatever. So well, hopefully we'll be your draft analysis destination. We'll go live after the second pick for probably about a half hour and then go off the air. And then once they make their third round pick, wherever it is, we'll go live on the air again for another half hour or so and break down that pick. And then we'll do the same thing again on on day three. You know, the, the Bears picks, especially on day three, get a little bit overlooked, but we'll hopefully be your one-stop draft analysis. Hopefully we can get you to tune in live after each pick, and then we'll be, we'll be back on Sunday at our usual 2 o'clock to recap the whole draft. But uh, that's going to have to do it. I want to thank Emery Hunt again for coming on today, and, of course, thank Shane for calling in. But with that, that's going to have to do it for this edition of Bears Hour Live. Drop, drop, drop.